All right. Well, we are very pleased to have uh, my former college roommate, <laughs> my um, my my friend, my favorite, my my fellow Xavier alum, uh, someone who I am just so proud of, who is doing great work in your community. Uh, you wear a lot of different hats. So I just want to kind of highlight some of the things that that you've done. Mentioned you already went to Xavier University of Louisiana, um, yeah. where you earned a bachelor's degree, uh, mm -hmm. as well as a master's of public administration degree with a focus in public health policy and nonprofit management. Uh, you have worked in a lot of different ways. I think just taking care of our young people with adolescents, um, with with as a counselor for family care services there. But what I I like I think most is this uh, syringe exchange program that you have worked with. Because I think a lot of times we don't talk a lot in our communities about HIV AIDS, um, just uh, being able to have healthy, clean needles, making sure that people are able to get them when they, when they are using. Uh, and so I am just super proud of that because I know that we are overrepresented in that group, but we are underrepresented as the people that are providing that support. And so I am so, so very excited about you being able to come on and talk to us about that. Um, but also just, just that you are a, a person, you're raising a daughter, um, you've adopted another daughter that you are raising and advocating for them in the school system um, to make sure that they are receiving what they need. And I think that that's one of the, the greatest roles that a person can serve is being an advocate for their children. And so also proud of you for that. Um, and you are a mentor um, and you are a person that engages in outreach. And so I am just so excited to have you be a guest on our show. So welcome, welcome, welcome Malika Lamont to In Our Own Defense. Thank, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here because, you know, we go way back and I love you very much. And it's, I'm just, I want to support you in any way that I can. So thank you for inviting me to Absolutely. be here. Thank you. Uh, attorney winners, do you mind if I get the first question with Malika or, or should I be kind and let you let you have it? No, no, please, by all means, uh, you go first, but can you mute your IG? Because we can hear it through this. We'll just want one voice on IG. Okay, got it. Can you still hear me on there? No, I'm good now. Okay. All right. Um, well, Malika, first of all, I just want you to kind of just tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing and how that work has been affected by the pandemic. Um, so, so the work that um, I've been doing, I work in the field of harm reduction. Um, so one of the main tenets of that work is that we meet people where they are um, and we work to support people that um, use drugs and have other you know, behavioral health challenges and have experienced trauma. Um, and we work to engage them um, in order to help support them. And we also work to um, change drug laws and policies um, around uh, how people are treated by our systems. We work to change those systems um, and, you know, I've done everything along the continuum that you just mentioned, you know, from being a counselor to also working in the street and doing, um, you know, 
direct service syringe exchange with people, as well as uh, policy change. And um, currently I work with the Public Defender Association and that houses the flagship law enforcement assisted diversion program that started in Seattle, Washington. I work on our Washington state expansion of law enforcement assisted diversion. Uh, that is a program that is designed to engage people that are, are committing low level crimes that, that are impacted by poverty and behavioral health issues to divert them out of the criminal legal system and to provide them with wraparound services in, within the harm reduction model. So engaging them, meeting where they are and working with them along the continuum of behavior change in a self-determined manner. We recognize the autonomy of all people and we want to support them in building that. I also am the director of Vocal Washington, which stands for Voices of Community Activists and Leaders Washington. Uh, we're affiliated with Vocal New York uh, we work with people that are marginalized and have been subject to the drug war, uh, mass incarceration, HIV and AIDS, poverty, and um, also systemic racism. We work to build community with marginalized people because we believe building community is the first step in creating political power. When people recognize who they are truly and not who they are defined as by society, and that often, most often happens within the context of community support. So we work to build that community support uh, in order to create change, policy change ideally, so that um, people can live their fullest life and recognize that they are able to do those things. Um, I also am the co-founder and um, I helped create the model of care that we provided a low barrier buprenorphine clinic uh, we provide medication-assisted treatment for people that are experiencing opioid use disorder. It's called the um, Olympia Buprenorphine Clinic or Olympia Bup Clinic. It's in Olympia, Washington. I live in Washington State. Um, I'm the Director of Harm Reduction Practices. We are housed in a um, licensed behavioral health center that is run by people that all have their own diagnoses, so it's consumer-run. It's the clubhouse model. Um, and it was intentional on my part to have that clinic housed in a place where people have lived experience so that they, because we believe that people that are closest to the issues are the ones that are closest to the solutions as well. And how have you been impacted by the pandemic? Well, definitely um, caused a few uh, adjustments to say the least. <laughs> Because um, a lot of the work that um, I do is in person. So um, that changed. Uh, it was, at first, it was really concerning about what that was going to look like. But um, as the previous guest mentioned, uh, we were, being at home causes you to have more time to be able to actually address things. You know, travel takes a lot of time. Um, and our engagement has changed with people, but it's still occurring. Our clinic, for example, we moved our operations outside when we recognized that it was safer. You know, once all the information about COVID was coming out, we changed our care model so that the providers were meeting with patients outside. And now we have moved into a different location. We have a larger clinic um, because we went from zero to a thousand patients in one year. 
because our area is so underserved with access to medication to assisted treatment, we serve about a six county area, um, which is about 7,000 square miles. And that also used to be the catchment area of my, the storage exchange program that I ran for 13 years. Um, so we moved our operations outside. Um, we lengthened the um, prescriptions for our stable patients. We increased uh, telemedicine for um, people that were more stable and able to you know, engage in that model of care, but we did keep in-person services for people that needed them. In our new location, we have more space. So um, we moved operations back indoors again. However, people still need to wait outside. Um, we have, because we um, serve a highly transient population. So um, having people crowd inside isn't an option, but we have tents set up outside that are open um, to keep circulation of airflow. And we've made the necessary accommodations inside in order to be able to keep people safe. Um, and knock on wood, we have not had any transmissions related to our clinic that we know of. Um, and also with the vocal work, we were able to um, actually intervene and stop the placement of a women's prison here in, um, uh, here in the county that I live in. Um, and that was done through virtual organizing. Um, and so the virtual, you know, moving to virtual, it made everything a lot, made the world a lot smaller. Washington's a really spread out state. So like you can drive for 10, 12 hours and still be within the state of Washington. So, um, you know, and since we're a statewide program, it, it takes, there's a lot of travel time involved. Um, we've been able to, um, but since we've gone virtual, uh, we've been able to engage people from both sides of our state. We call, you know, I live in Western Washington. Eastern Washington is on the other side of the Cascade Mountains. Um, we also, um, let's see, what are some other things that we've been able to accomplish? We were well, able I, to, I, I have oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. And I think it's fascinating what you, um, and your staff and your team there does, and especially just you alone, when you have two different directorships, co-founding organizations. Uh, if you're nothing else, you're a Xaver, Xaverite. And with all of you guys' talent that you typically bring to any table that you're in, you bring a table to the table. But our last guest, um, he, he's a bishop, and he's also a mayor of a small city. And, and, um, and, and at this point, every city is a big city. Every city is New York because they're at the epicenter of their own uh, pandemic uh, as it relates to their citizenry. But you, in Washington State, you guys do some pretty unique things. Uh, Washington State didn't do all the marching and then no output. Here on the West Coast, we typically put action to that power. In, uh, in Seattle, you mentioned how uh, you guys did a lot of, there was a lot of shifting and you guys mimicked a program similar to theirs in Olympia. One of the things that I found fascinating is uh, Seattle uh, the city council, they rebalanced their 2020 budget and passed that those initial police department cuts and they shifted those uh, those funds and to, in order to reduce the size of the police force, but really right size the police force because they had the police force managing things that was outside of the scope of protecting and serving and was more better placed with community programs such as yours. You know, the city... Uh, uh, even though the police officers guild and all of these police officer organizations normally want to fight that, 
the word has been used as defunding when it's just really more semantics. We are talking about shifting those resources and better, better allocating them. And you can call it what you want to, but if we took, uh, if we took uh, money and funds from the Air Force and said, this needs to go to troops and said, we don't need new planes, we need more money for the actual troops on the ground, then no one would say we're defunding the Air Force. We would say we're shifting the budget to where the needs are most uh, uh, delicately met. And you guys are doing that. Do you believe that uh, not to defund the police, but to reorganize and restructure the budget, uh, do you believe that that is a better way to shift those, those funds uh, to, to organizations like yours because you could do the work better than coming with guns? Uh, unfortunately, we have lost Miss Lamont. She's, oh, we lost her. Okay. Yeah, her computer is rebooting. Um, okay. So well, you can answer that question, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and when we get her back, we can we can uh, pose that question to her. Okay. Um, just responding to her. So you know, I know there is a lot of um, angst around this defunding the police, but I, but I think you more accurately kind of described it is how we, we need to um, reallocate some of those funds to be better used. We also, there's, a, well, let me, I can't have this conversation without talking about some other things that need to happen in police departments. Um, so like we need to have mandatory psychological testing um, before our uh, police officers are even um, commissioned, are even able to, to serve. And then those evaluations need to be on a yearly basis. We need to be monitoring our police officers if they have trauma and make sure that they're getting the effective resources they need um, to be able to manage that trauma. We need to have uh, independent boards of citizens who are able to review the officers so that we don't end up having uh, bias when they're being reviewed in terms of um, some of the infractions that, that they commit. So there that, you know, this, we're talking about moving things to be able to further allow our police departments to be effective. We know our police officers don't make enough money. They need to be able to have enough income to be able to support themselves. They are working oftentimes two and three jobs. So they're working as security officers in other places there. So we want to be able to make sure that our police departments, one, have the resources that they need, that they're they have enough allocated funds, they have enough officers. We often have um, police departments who are understaffed. And so we have officers who are being stretched, um, working long hours um, across multiple shifts. And so that needs to be addressed. So as you're, as you're talking about reallocating, moving some things around, all of those things need to be included in that. Welcome back, Ms. Lamont. I apologize for that. Sorry. It was a spontaneous reboot of my computer. <laughs> um, Zoom casualty. Uh, yeah, so the reallocation to, of funding. Um, so LEAD has been operating in Seattle for a number of years. Um, so, and just to understand, Seattle is very different than the rest of the state of Washington. Um, and so now we are in the, in 2018, we got some funding to start uh, LEAD programs around the state. Um, in areas very different from Seattle, very rural in often cases, and um, also to work with a group that's called the Washington Association of Sheriff and Police Chiefs in order to create some arrest and jail alternative programs that are within the LEAD um, model, but not necessarily fidelitous to, to that model completely. Um, and in Seattle, when a fraction of the demands from Black Lives Matter were 
defunded from the police. Let's just be really clear about that. It was not, I mean, it sounded like it was a lot more than it actually was. Um, and that money, some of that money was reallocated to community-based organizations to provide um, support for people and to create a more appropriate response than law enforcement. Because oftentimes um, we have this misconception in our society that law enforcement are the appropriate response for um, you know, every, every law violation that occurs when oftentimes our, the law violations that occur um, are as a result of, like I said earlier, behavioral health issues and poverty. Um, and some might say our laws might be lacking in some moral character, but we'll leave that for another day. Anyway, so um, yes, we, to, do, to make that more correct response, more relevant response for people, um, and the lead model of care is, um, because that is the thing that makes LEAD so unique, is that wraparound care for people that are experiencing profound behavioral health issues, um, mental health and substance use issues. Um, and, and that appropriate intervention to work with people that have been traumatized and often victimized by our society and by the criminal legal system um, and not had their issues actually addressed in a compassionate and relevant way to them. So yes, there have been some investments um, across the city. Um, however, make no mistake, that budget is still humongous. Anyway, you know, it's like hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and uh, I think that as a country and as a society, uh, we will not see the changes that we actually want, say that we want if we don't start making those value decisions that have dollar signs behind them um, to actually create living wages for people um, we actually create housing for people. I mean, nationally, we have like over 40% under what we need for stock of low-income housing and affordable housing for people. That's, and if you, and to put that into context, I mean, I think that all of us have seen rapidly rising, you know, rents and uh, mortgages and, you know, it's harder to borrow money and be able to purchase a home and or even be able to save enough money to be able to you know pay your rent to pay for your house um and so until we start saying that it's a value that people have a place to live they have enough to eat and that they have you know access to health care and those basic necessities that um help you be able to stay in your you know for lack of a better way of saying it your right mind to be able to live your life and not and we're not going to, and, you know, if we continue to have, you know, racially biased drug laws and, you know, all of these other things that are, you know, that marginalize people, um, taking a few couple million dollars from a police budget is not going to fix all that. And until we create programs that are at the scale to create the change that we say that we want, and so that we can start undoing these harms, we're not going to get to the place that you know, we're saying that we want to be. But yes, it's a start. I'm not going to, you know, knock it. It's a start. Um, Ms. Lamont, I want to thank you again for taking time. I'm so proud of you. Um, Thanks, Fran. Um, and, you know, I love you so much. Uh, but do you have any websites or any social media sites or any events or anything that you'd like to share with our audience before you leave? 
Um, well, Vocal Washington is on Facebook. We're in the process of revamping some of our website um, information, but we're under the Public Defender Association. There is a, there are fiduciary agent and we're one of the projects under um, their umbrella. So um, if you look up Public Defender Association and you will see Vocal Washington. So if you would like to learn more about us, get involved in our work, learn about starting, you know, a chapter in your own community and like what that looks like, um, or try and find, learn, you know, ch exchange information about how to build power for people that have been marginalized um, by our systems. If you want to get in touch with me regarding um, the Olympia Buprenorphine Clinic, uh, you can reach me at Lamont, L-A-M-O-N-T-M, eight, eight, eight at gmail.com. Um, I'd be happy to talk with you about our uh, clinic. That's separate from my day job. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's why I gave a different email address. Um, but if you're interested in learning more about the work that I do with the Public Defender Association, that's malika.lamont at defender.org. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. You take care and I will, yeah. I will see you later. Um, yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.